0: The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. Okay, we're rolling. How do you feel? I'm feeling good. The voice you are hearing is Karen Bliss. She is a longtime music journalist. And uh, we've been talking about doing this for quite some time. Thanks for being my comeback from the summer off of the Women in Media podcast. You're my first episode back.
1: Thank you for allowing me after all the delays...
0: Um, Just a little content uh, trigger warning here. The conversation that we're going to have will reference allegations surrounding some sexual violence and perhaps some graphic content could be upsetting to uh, some of my listeners, so I just want to let you know that before you dive any further into this episode. And we're going to talk about your career first. Uh, Being a music journalist at this time, in this climate, I think is a huge accomplishment on its own. But coming out of the pandemic, you know, tell me what you've been working on and, and how you're feeling about the state of things as a writer in this country.
1: It's the hardest it's ever been since I was in my late teens, early 20s, to be honest. Uh, there's not a lot of work. There really isn't. And the major outlets that I write for have either diminished their budgets or frozen their budgets. Everyone has to be really careful coming out of uh, COVID. And uh, it's, it's definitely impacted me.
0: So just to give you know a couple of things on the resume, um, you've been writing for a really long time. How many years now? Like 2023 is how many years?
1: It's quite... A few decades. Yeah. I actually started when I was a teenager between high school and university. And then I wrote for, you know, school paper at U of T and did a radio show and I just kept at it, not it, not it. Uh, It's probably been 30 years, I would
0: say. You may know Karen's work from Billboard. Um, You've been a longtime Canadian correspondent for Billboard since 2010. um, And we're going to talk about a very important piece that you wrote for them coming up. But I mean, just to go back, venturing into music journalism, when did you know? If you're writing for the school paper, how did you find the music element?
1: Well, I loved music in my teens. And as soon as I was able, I doctored my driver's license. And I would use that to get into the bars, the scene bands. And at that time, you could walk into like a clothing store or a record shop. And there'd be like tickets on the counter for some show coming up. But I'm really dating myself now. This is not like me. At, you know, the Copa, uh, the Diamond, and other uh, venues, and I would see everything and I would save my meager lunch money to buy records, uh, to go to concerts. Uh, I didn't care if it was big band, small band. So that's what I did. I had no talent. I did try and take guitar lessons. And unfortunately, I thought I was too old back then. Kids are so stupid. So I just (laughs) never continued. And, uh, you know, I would get all the music magazines and read them all voraciously. And uh, that was the way to kind of marry my passion for music with, you know, the talent that I did have.
0: I'm actually quite envious of you because, you know, like when they went around class, I remember in our first year of Fanshawe College, I did a degree diploma with Fanshawe. They asked us what we wanted to be, like what our, you know, desire was to come out of the program to do. And with zero fear, I was like, I'm going to be a music journalist. Well, you're a music journalist of sorts. Of sorts, but you take twists and turns a- along the way. But my first love, um, it sounds a lot like you. I used to write for the school paper. My first love has always been writing, so I'm quite envious. But um, out of all these interviews that like, if you look at Karen CV just for like five seconds, there's a long list of interviews. Everyone from the Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls to like Jimmy Page and Kurt Cobain. Has there been an interview that really stuck out over the years as a moment in time you'll never forget? Yes. Yes, actually.
1: I would love to interview Eddie better again because Eddie I knew about mother love phone. And I think one of the guys that told me about their, you know, new group and I was at, uh, CMJ in New York and I went to see Pearl jam. I think I went twice and freaking Eddie better man. So good. And I listened to 10 over and over and over again. So by the time I interviewed him, it's a pretty silly interview in a way. I mean, it's good, but it's funny. You can find it because I I think I sold it to an outlet when there was an anniversary, maybe an induction or something.
0: We'll link to it in the show notes if we've got it. Yeah.
1: I just really enjoyed talking to him. And at the end of the conversation, he was like, if you need anything else, just call (laughs) and All these years later, I've never interviewed them again because they're just one of those acts that they don't really do a lot of interviews. And when you're a freelancer, even if I have regular clients, when it comes to those acts, it's always the staff or the editor that wants to do the interviews. Like I would love to interview Keith Richards. Yeah, I've interviewed him for like three minutes on a red carpet, but he was, you know, my fave growing up. Um, Never had a chance to sit down with him. As uh, Springsteen, okay. another one. Because hmm. no editor is going to say, Karen, you go interview Keith. You go interview Bruce. But I've interviewed some great people. Eminem in the early days. And Shania in the early days. Uh, D12, Metallica. Oh I, Brittany. I was one of the first people, if not the first person in Canada to interview Brittany, Christina.
0: There's been a lot. Have you learned that there's something in common with all these people? They're all super famous people, different genres of music, different goals in life. But is there anything you've learned from all these big names? I learned something from every person I talk to.
1: You know, I I am primarily a trade, a music industry writer. You know, I do both. um, But I learned a lot about the music industry by talking to people in the music industry and being out at, at the venues and you know, getting to know the managers and the A&R people and the publishers and the agents. And we would exchange, like, go see this act or we just sign this act. Or, you know, there's been a few artists that I've actually turned on to people in the industry every couple of years. I drive an artist around to meet people in the industry. Like, <laughs> I love doing that. And um, I love talking to creative people. So right. I ask the questions I want to know the answers
0: to. We've sort of referenced um, your work with The Samaritan. Um, It's an online music magazine, and um, you're basically looking to shine the light on good people in the industry trying to combat bad things. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. It's been dormant for well over a year, unfortunately. I lost my funding. And as a writer myself, I don't want to get people to write for free. I want to pay
0: people
1: for their work. And unfortunately, that came. It's actually not just about the industry or musicians trying to make a difference. It's about anyone. But but given the nature of my career, it started being very music heavy, which is great. And you know, I've had Brian Adams telling me that he was proud of me, and Justin Timberlake. I was interviewing for another outlet, and I asked him a question about you know causes and charities, and and he was like, "Why did you ask me that?" And I told him about Samaritan. That's a great idea. You should talk to my publicist. So, I lost my funding for that. I am going to bring it back somehow, but I really had to concentrate on finding more work as a journalist before I can Fair. put more time into that. There is a great company that I think I am going to be partnering with. Okay. And, uh, okay. The people that run it have the same mindset as me. And they're, uh, yeah, they're pretty cool. So, I hope that that will. Um, come to something maybe in the new year.
0: So there is um, a piece that you wrote for Billboard that was published uh, this summer. The headline read, "Canadian radio promoter Adrian Strong, a sexual predator, women say." And I mean, you and I have been in touch for you know I would call it four years now. I think we met um, and and really like spent some time together, got to know each other outside of just seeing each other at concerts um, when we went to Nunavut for a music week up there. But, um, you know, in that time, after getting to know you, when we kept in touch and I said, I wanted to have you on this podcast, it had nothing to do with this piece that we're about to talk about. I just thought your career was very interesting. And you said, well, I'm working on something right now, which I'd love to discuss more, but it's going to be a while before I can talk about it. This took over your life for a couple of years. So talk to me about how this story landed in, in your lap, in your inbox, and why you felt the need to cover it.
1: I've never done a story like this before. So all these decades, thousands of articles I've written, this is completely out of my wheelhouse. But it is an important story. What happened was in November 2019, a woman who went by newar posted on her Instagram, a photo of Adrian Strong with the words, incel rapist, with arrows pointing to his face. And next to it was a very graphic story about something that happened to her 10 years prior, an alleged rape in Charleston. She alleges that he drugged her, confined her for 18 hours, and cut a section of her scalp.
0: I remember reading this post when it was on social media at the time. Yeah,
1: it it circulated. Everyone I know saw it. It was sent to me. I've known Adrian probably 20 years, and it was very detailed. It wasn't necessarily long, but it definitely included, you know, names and places. Some key pieces. Immediately called my editor at Billboard, said, can I look into this? He said, of course. I didn't really know what I was doing. I called up the Peel police, asked for the, the media department, do you have a report? You know, I didn't even know her real name. So I asked if it was under Adrian Strong. Essentially, they said no. Then I'm trying to dialogue with her. And she was kind of responsive, but she was actually dealing with someone else in the music industry who had reached out to her as an ally. And that person, little did I know, over the subsequent two weeks, was saying some pretty nasty things about me, quite frankly. So Nuar was accusing me of, you know, being friends with, with Adrian. And I did see some of the exchanges and that it was that I hate women and I'm probably working for Adrian and I shouldn't be using Billboard's uh, name. And, you know, it was very upsetting, actually, because I don't think there's anything here that... A woman can say about another woman. But at that time, I had already talked with another woman who it was off the record, but she told me her story. And so that was two people that had stories about Adrian. I also had taken the time to go through his Facebook page because we're Facebook friends. And I went through 10 years took hours. Oh. I was screenshotting, um, you know, there were some uh, mentions of Charleston, of Hilton Head, of marriotts all things that were in her post. And then I got to the date that she alleges that he raped her. And it says, Noir is the new black. And Noir was spelled N-O-I-R-E, the way she spells it. So, when I saw it, I took a screenshot, sent it to my editors. You know, it was something that I felt that I should pursue, and they did too. But by then, I think another outlet had told Newar that they were going to do something. Um, it was a bit of a mess after kind of this sabotage initially. This other guy had said that he would interview her for a podcast and that 20 people had come forward to him. I, I spoke with him. I was a little skeptical, but I said, please, like, take it. You know, I obviously can't, you know, do this piece. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time is that there has to be a charge in order for me to be able to access the reports. So Nuar put the requests in. Um, she can only get her reports. Because there's no charges, she can't get any of the reports if they had gone to speak with Adrian. So she put those requests in, say, with the hospital records. And, you know, it's Christmas time. My aunt passed away January, go to uh, England for the funeral, come back. And it's essentially COVID. So nothing happened. All throughout COVID, DMD, Still very, very active. People are still uh, hiring them.
0: That's Adrian's company. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Um, The company that he formerly was a, a part of. And just so you know, we will have a link to this article if you want to read the article before you listen to the rest of this conversation in the show notes.
1: So what Adrian does is he's a radio tracker. So and in Canada, he would do pop radio, top 40 radio. So he is promoting singles to radio, building relationships with those uh, formats and uh, radio stations with the, with the people there. So that's what he did. And he had some very, very big clients. So he's very successful for, for very many years. and you know, and I've known him too. Me too. So what happened was the following year, I don't have a lot of work. I find out that they've been using my name. To a few people, I don't know how many, but enough for them to contact me saying, well, Karen Bliss to do a story, you know, because people would say like, well, what about this post? You know, and they're like, oh, nothing, you know, was BS, you know, Karen Bliss tries to do a story. I should say I also had texted Adrian around that time and I said,
0: would you like to comment?
1: If you have a comment, I tried to get a report. I called Peel Police and they didn't have a report. He did not contact me back, but I did send that. So, you know, he could have shown that to anyone. At that time, that was true. But by then, I had spoken with multiple women, and so I contacted DMT and had a pretty long conversation with one of the people there. And he did message me back, and and he said, you know, I've told everyone there not to use your name anymore, and they understand. I said, thank you very much. And I was out for lunch with one of Adrian's friends and nothing was ever mentioned. I was there to meet with him about something else. But something he said started, you know, me thinking again. And he said, the only person that's benefited from COVID is Adrian. And in a way that was true because everyone retreated into their own lives, right? It was very, you know, scary, unpredictable time for everyone. And uh, I didn't have a lot of work, as I said. And I went home and I called my editor and I said, can I try this again? And he said, yes. And I didn't tell anyone this time because I didn't want to be sabotaged. I just wanted to do it on my own. And I just dug in.
0: I want to stop you for a second there. How are you feeling at this point? You know, you've gone after this story in a few different paths and it hasn't worked out. Yeah. And you're hearing more and more about what this person was potentially capable of. How do you feel as a woman?
1: I mean, I have to say it's very difficult to hear a woman talk to you for two hours about an alleged assault in great, great detail. You know, I don't have experience with this. I have to be careful not to re-traumatize them. I have to um, ask for corroborating evidence and also people that I can speak to that they told at that time without making them feel like I'm attacking them or I don't believe them. I mean, it's very important in journalism that you corroborate you know, the information that you're getting. And I had to do it with sensitivity and tact. And I'm sure there were times they were just upset with me or frustrated because it took a very long time. But also, I'm freelance. I'm self-employed. And my editors are very, very busy at Billboard. At first, I dealt with uh, my news editor, who I talk to every day. And uh, he's fantastic. Yeah, I can't even... Tell you how great an editor he is and um, so understanding and really would listen to my zillions of phone calls about, you know, the latest developments or issues or, you know, thing other things I needed to get. His name's Colin Stutz. And uh, he really had my back the entire way. He believed in the story. Uh, yeah. So I also spoke with men who had their own stories about kind of stepping in, almost like the uh, close calls. You know, I I have to be careful here, and I want to make it very, very clear that Adrian has denied all allegations.
0: Yeah, we have this statement right here if we need to read it. I categorically deny sexually assaulting or drugging anyone. And in the past decade, our industry has gone through a lot of change when it comes to understanding power dynamics. In my 20s and 30s, I had romantic relationships with artists that were consensual, which was not uncommon in the industry. I'm now accused of being sexually abusive and using my position in an exploitive way during that time. I wholeheartedly deny these claims. These allegations have given me pause to reflect on what I have done or could be doing better. I never intended to cause anyone pain.
1: We ended up obviously dealing with his lawyer's and they did send their evidence and we used all of it. I'm kind of jumping around here, but. Um, That's okay. So I investigated for a very long time and, you know, would speak with someone that they told at that time. Uh, meanwhile, I should say that New Art to get the police reports for me and the hospital records, uh, which were very, if you read the article, she went through, uh, she's a person of color mm-hmm. and. Uh, She perceived that she was not treated very well by the police or by uh, the uh, medical personnel. You can read all about that. And I had to kind of sift through all that. Um, So ultimately, no charges were laid. So this was, you know, uh, 2009. But, you know, she also provided the records from her social worker. I did speak with her social worker. I also want to say that people are not named in the article. They are not anonymous. They are confidential sources. I think people get confused. They think that I don't know who they are. I have their full name. I have their contacts. I interviewed all these people for a very long time. For whatever reason, and they don't need a reason, they are not named in it. You know, the this story's very, very long. Um, but I did speak with the women multiple times, sometimes for hours. You can read all about that in the, in the article.
0: Yeah. It's even tough to read as, you know, someone in the industry being like, oh, what's this about? It's it's hard to read regardless of who you are. Very, very hard to read. And while I, of course, I'm thinking about the women that have come forward with their stories in this piece, I'm also thinking about you as a journalist and the challenges surrounding your writing, your career. Did you have any fear at the time?
1: Yeah, of course. I actually, I did. You know, I would say so. By this time, uh, as I'm putting the piece together, the first draft, and there were many, many drafts. Uh, Billboard brought in an executive editor, uh, Frank DiGiacomo, and he's fantastic. Yeah, he he was the one that really he's got fresh eyes. He doesn't know the story the way Colin does because Colin was there the whole you know every step of the way, and uh, he really helped me shape the piece and told me what was needed there were or are lawyers involved at penske and at billboard as well but also um i was reaching out during this time like not only am i a voracious reader of of news pieces particularly investigative pieces but uh i was watching there was a fantastic panel on with the uh the journalist from tsn uh who broke the uh hockey, uh, mm-hmm. sexual assault, uh, story. Hockey Canada. Um, yeah. So I was watch- watching things like that. And I also reached out to Kevin Donovan, who is hands down probably the best investigator reporter in Canada. He writes for the, uh, Toronto star wow. and he, uh, you know, did the, was working on the Sherman case. He's done a book. There's a series, there's a podcast. And he was so helpful. He told me about the uh, Responsible Journalism Act in Canada.
0: So you're learning things about
1: your line of work along the way. 100%. Because, you know, I go to concerts for a living, you know? What'd you learn? What I learned, and it's very important, is that I had to go to Adrian often with these allegations, points of fact, and ask him to respond. And give him ample time to respond. That was crucial. And he also, uh, Kevin suggested we retain a Canadian lawyer too because our laws are different here. And and it's a very convoluted kind of situation because I'm Canadian, Billboards American, Adrian's Canadian, Newar's Canadian. The alleged assault happened in America. The other women, it happened in Canada. But you got the idea. So uh, billboard was fantastic. They retained the Canadian lawyer for me as well. Um, They also have kind of a, kind of a security safety expert on, on staff who talked to me a couple of times. Um, So yeah, the, uh, so Kevin was fantastic. Um, I also contacted Billy Jensen uh, from watching uh, one of the true crime shows and he's, also investigator reporter, and he contacted me. This was actually before I talked to Kevin, just I explained what was going on, and I told him what I had discovered so far because I had texts and screenshots and all kinds of information from the women and, and things that I found myself, and uh, he thought I had enough. Uh, little did I know I did not. Um, huh. So, yeah, it, it was definitely... Uh, a lot of work. So in in March was when uh, the editors, the lawyers...
0: Of this year? Of this year. 2023. And this started in 2019. That just paints the picture.
1: Yeah. Mainly 2021, I have to say, was when...
0: Yeah. But even like pasting this article so I could read it offline into a Word document, it was 17 pages. Text only. It could be longer. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel instant mushroom coffee from organic traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it.
2: Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people have wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. Well, here we are, a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy. We have a podcast. I know, you're thinking, who doesn't? But ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women, though. Just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors, activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn. Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis. Colin mockery. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us. Women of Ill Repute.
0: Okay, so now we're in 2023 in March.
1: Now we're in 2023. So bear in mind, no one in my family most of my friends do not know some of them know i'm working on something they don't know what uh, i did to find in a couple of people far removed from the music industry so i was dealing with this myself i would wake up in the middle of the night it's almost like a post traumatic stress disorder like it's a, yeah. it's a lot when you live by yourself and you're hearing all these stories and going back to the women and you know And and they're experiencing it too, I'm sure, because they're reliving something that happened a long time ago, right? And something that changed ultimately destroyed their lives for that time period where they left the country and, you know, didn't follow the career path that they wanted. Their dreams. One of them did, and she's quite successful, which I'm happy about. That part's heartbreaking too, um, but, you know, I contacted him, I sent the email, I remember sitting there and sending the email, and it was like, he knows, like that That was that was weird, and I wanted to interview him, love to interview him, I want him to respond to all these points of fact and, and allegations, and you know, there were over 70 of them, and it could be as simple as, you know, did you meet noir at Canadian Music Week, they weren't all about the actual assault, it was just like points, points of fact, and Right, You know, he he responded that he was traveling and it would be like next week and then it was Thanksgiving and, you know, and then I tried to get more specific, like giving deadlines and asked repeatedly. I mean, I don't need to go over all the times, but at least a dozen times I asked to meet in person. I even called the Rivoli to see like if someone would be around, you know, if I was going to go and meet him there. I set days, you know, aside. Uh, I said I would do it by Zoom, by phone. He said like, oh, he was in rural UK and couldn't answer. I should also mention he went silent on all social media as soon as Nuar made that post. So he kept his accounts, but never again posted. From 2019, was that? Yes. So his biggest clients at that time, like the weekend, was on the Super Bowl. No posts. You know, Blinding Lights, huge, huge song, no posts. So there was nothing else for me to, to monitor. But, I, you know, I was I was looking. Um, you know, DMD yeah. still got clients. And, and I did see him at an, at an event during COVID. I don't know if he saw me, but it was
0: for an mm. artist at the Soho house. Um, I just have to say, too, I saw him on a flight um, on my way back from a conference. And when I walked past him, I had read that post from Noir maybe two months before. And yeah, my skin was crawling, just even being on the same flight. And he saw me and I saw him and he immediately looked down. He did not want to be seen.
1: Yeah. I mean, there were people that were still hanging out with him from the industry. Um, And, you know, these were allegations, right? Yep. So the article hadn't come out. So I said, well, can you answer some of these questions on a rolling basis? Like you can answer, you don't need to access anything to be able to say, were you here, were you there? Um, but all he responded was, uh, I have to access my old um, computers and, and cameras, which are in storage. So um, just it just kept getting delayed, delayed. He wanted it went from May 1st to May 26th. May 26th, when he said he would talk to me or respond to the allegations, uh, we got a letter from the lawyer and then it continued a little longer meanwhile behind the scenes because i know a lot of people in the industry they're talking about shutting down dmd and the two people that work underneath them starting their own company so they didn't wait till my article came out this was a decision they made to get ahead of the article
2: mm-hmm. well that
1: was going on but there was nothing I could do. I, the women were frustrated because we're giving him all this time, and he's just delaying, delaying and not giving us anything. Um, but ultimately you'll you'll see what we did get from him. He, he sent a couple of photos, which he uh, alleged They're during the article that you are you know, had no visible breezes or anything. He sent those in and there were a couple of other points where he answered and everything he wanted in is is in and th- these are all like directives also from my editors like every line has been vetted you know like i'm not just working on my own so
0: yeah there's a big group of people at this point working on it
1: i sent a, an email to all the labels and asked them to pass it on to any management or publicists like that needed to know, based on the artists that were actually mentioned in the piece, nothing nefarious. It was simply that DMD had worked singles for these artists, you know? Right, yeah. So uh, so at that point, I remember sending it and my heart, I was like, now the whole industry knows. And I actually felt safer. I wanted to protect the women in, in so many ways along the way. And I I maintain that to this to this day. Um, But I also living by myself and I know these are, you know, all alleged, but I do live by myself. I do park in the back, you know, and interestingly, when I sent the email telling him I was doing the story, the next day I got ring cameras put in the next day, some guy came walking up the side of my house looked right at the camera muttered she has a camera I left didn't look at my other neighbor because it's a kind of a shared driveway I was like is that a coincidence or does this happen all the time and it's
0: you know I just never caught it and we'll never know we'll never
1: know I, but it's never happened again since I had the cameras but you know I'm, I'm probably being paranoid but that's how you feel when you're a woman living alone working on a story like this so you know i did have the police here they did come to my house and i did tell them the story i was working on and they looked around my house and told me like oh put lines do this you know and they were lovely and uh they followed up to check up on me um billboard also had as i mentioned uh you know someone uh that they retain that that talked to me as well like they're an amazing amazing publication and organization i
0: very grateful. So coming out of the publishing of this story, you know, it's been a couple months now. Do you feel like this story has been done justice?
1: I mean, I'm very happy it came out and that people read it. And I didn't know when it was coming out because, you know, I would read it again and go, we have to change this. Like this one word would change the meaning of a sentence. Like every, I'm not joking, when every single thing sentence has been vetted. it like there's reasons I chose specific wording and uh, Sinead O'Connor died that same day and it was Mick Jagger's 80th birthday it was a big big music day and I got a lovely email from a fellow writer at Billboard who I don't know but she's an incredible writer and she said I worked on a piece that you know is a fraction of the size and can't imagine like the stress you went through, and I actually started
0: crying, (laughs) right? How can you not? Yeah, it's a big relief. It was like this, I'm going to start crying now.
1: It was like a few years of this, and and the next person was Noir, and um, she said I'm about to read it, and 45 minutes later, I hadn't heard from her, and there were people that did not believe her, and that is in the article. And I mm-hmm. didn't know what kind of response I would get. And uh, yeah, she was, she said it was like a weight lifted off her shirt. And all the women contacted me and said similar. And then I started getting messages from men in the industry. Huge, like a huge producer sent me a email that he was proud of me and he's never seen me write a piece like this. Like, I mean, not this is all on me, but those were like, It was really nice to hear because I didn't know what kind of response I would get. And it's a very small industry. Of course. You know, I know people say like, oh, I didn't read it because I don't know him. It's not about him. You know, it doesn't matter if you know him or you don't know him or he's just a a radio guy. And, you know, Billboard didn't know DMD. They don't care. Like they're an American publication, right? They don't know who Adrian is. This is a public interest, a human interest story. You know, the the people need to know and give these women a voice and a place to tell their story. And it's been corroborated. Every one of their stories have been corroborated by someone they told at that time. One had police reports and hospital records. His name is throughout. You know, his name is in there.
0: So... No, but you're right. Like we get wrapped up in the music industry part of this, but when you look at that article, you know there's sections that say related Marilyn Manson. Then there's another section that I think I saw something related to um, Russell Brand. And funny enough, you and I had gone back and forth a lot before doing this interview, and you had sent me a note about. BBC and a Russell Brand article and you had sort of mentioned, I really like the way that this was handled. What did you appreciate about that article in maybe comparison to what we're talking about right now? Well, I
1: guess that they acknowledged the women's stories and were investigating right away. I wish that when this post was made in November 2019, that people who used to services who employed him would have taken action then
0: ask the questions at the very least
1: and then I wouldn't be talking to you about this I wouldn't have had to spend all this time I don't want to be doing this you know this this story is not something I would ever wish on anyone or what the women have gone through I want to go write about concerts I want to talk you know, to musician about the song they wrote, you know, and go in the studio. And that's what I want to do. And I know that her story is severe. And I know a lot of people didn't believe it. And I get that. But at least investigate, you know,
0: Speaking of which, so after contacting these companies, um, did anyone agree to share anything publicly and do proper investigations?
1: Well, in the article, um, DMD, the person who owned DMD, which I actually thought all these years was Adrian because he was the president, but it actually wasn't. And I think a lot of people in the industry also thought it was Adrian. But yeah, the person you'll see in the article did say that he hired a law firm and would be investigating. I don't know the outcome of that investigation, if it's still ongoing and if those findings will be made public. I hope so. You know, if Adrian, as he acknowledged in his email to me, has old computers and cameras, I don't know if that's part of DMD, if, if they can, you know, have access to those and his emails. I don't really know how that works. I just know how I investigated this. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But I don't know what the answer is, you know, like it's hard for someone that's known someone for so long to believe these types of stories they are allegations but you can read it and come to your own conclusions i didn't get any thank you for investigating we should have done this or oh my god i had no idea i'm going to you know go back and see if i can find something like no one ever said that to me i got probably 200 messages from people outside that world You know, and I've spoken to a few women since that have told me some stories too, like one of whom he worked her first single and then uh, when it came to the second single, because her album didn't do very well, he said, well, I'll work the second single if you come to my place and give me lap dances, allegedly. He said that to her. That's what she told me. Another woman, I won't go into too many details, but... um, She woke up in his office. He was uh, spooning her. Um, You know, there's a few stories like that that have come out since and, you know... It
0: only adds to the greater discussion.
1: Yeah, anyone that can contact me, there's an email address at the end of the Billboard article.
0: I'll have it in the show notes too. They
1: want to share any stories relating to Adrian Strong and any allegations. This is not... About the music industry, in a way, you know, right. like those, all the women's stories they span ten years. One, the person that um, I spoke to on Zoom for two hours, there were a lot of patterns. You'll see some patterns in the uh, alleged behavior. Um, she, for whatever reason, didn't want her full story shared because she wasn't in the music industry. Hmm. Like she met him on on a dating site called Seeking Arrangement. And no interest in the music industry. So it's not really about the music industry. But I wish that the smaller companies would have, like, I don't know what the answer is, like something in place to not let someone go unjustly, unfairly without doing an investigation, but put them on some kind of leave and and have, you know, some kind of investigator. I don't know if a lawyer can do this or it has to be some yeah. someone else that, I I know there's like privacy issues and all that, but it's not me taking three years of my life to investigate someone.
0: No. And, And you know what? There's a lot of parallels here. I'm thinking about the Hockey Canada investigations and publicly there was an outcry for information to be shared. And maybe because this was, you know, a lesser known person with a lesser known public profile, maybe that's the reason, but like, the allegations are just as serious. I guess the actions that followed from these companies, yeah, we just don't hear about how they've actually played out. We've only heard a check mark. Yeah, we did that. So that's where as a woman in this business or just as a woman, that's not enough. Yeah, I
1: wish there was more dialogue and people weren't so afraid for their jobs and their finances. Like I know people have to pay their bills, but some things
0: are more important. You know, any fallout that you can speak to um, after writing a piece like this?
1: <laughs> so the majority of feedback has been very supportive and positive And to my surprise, asking about me. So people have that insight, which is really amazing. There are a couple of companies that are
0: very angry with me. Um.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. See, that's interesting. You know, the Me Too movement started when 2017. So we're we're like years past, and there's still some individuals or groups that would be angry.
1: I mean, they might not understand how a story like this is done. They might not understand the the vetting process, the lawyers. Like, if you're going to be angry with me. You got to be angry with billboard. No one's going to blacklist billboard, but they can easily blacklist me. I'm the little person, you know, I'm easy. I'm, yep. I'm dispensable, right? They don't need me. So I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I was fully prepared. Uh, I have no regrets. This story had to be written. If it wasn't written, yes. I don't know what would happen. Uh, these women needed to tell their stories. New are needed to, have someone take that post and investigate. And she did everything right. She went to the police. She went to the hospital. You know, she made that post. I'm glad she finally trusted me to tell her story because I can't imagine how it felt for her after 10 years to make that post emboldened by the Me Too movement, right? That she makes this post and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Right, for a long time. And, you know, she was definitely frustrated with me over that time period. I mean, that's a long period of time. And I kept having to go back to her to like fact check and timeline and fill this in and fill that in. And and it wasn't because I didn't believe her and I didn't want to re-traumatize her. It's just we had to have those details. And this is also from my editors, right? Of course, yeah. And I trust them. They know what they're doing. And we had lawyers. My editors, the Penske lawyer, the Canadian lawyer said, yeah, we're ready. Then it went to the billboard lawyer and to the head of editorial, Hannah Carp, And they read it through fresh eyes. Might have been a few other changes and a few other additions and things I had to do. And then they said, yes, it is ready. You know, even like the Weinstein story, a lot of those, those take a, a lot of time, you know?
0: Yeah, and people are not aware.
1: Most people are on it like every day and they have like a big a supportive team. I have respect for
0: those investigative journalists yeah. that do it all the time. And congratulations to you for getting a piece like that out when you had never done something like that before. It's a huge article. And you know, I'm not done sharing it yet because I don't think enough people know yet. Like you said, human interest story. Anything from their clients since between now and then?
1: The two people that worked under Adrian um, started a, a new company. I think they have some of the same clients. I, I don't know what Adrian is. I don't know what happened. I don't know what his response is. I don't know any of his friends in the industry, what they said to him, what he said to them. I I don't know any of that.
0: Was there not a part in that article where one of the women grew very frustrated seeing people party with him at Coachella, some of our Canadian colleagues?
1: Yeah, that was Newar. I guess either she saw a photo of him with a couple of uh, key players in the industry uh, or someone sent it to her and she reposted it. Yes, yeah, she, yeah. she was not happy with that.
0: Well, I can't say enough in congratulations on this article, but um, I know what you went through to write it. So I want to commend you for sticking up for these women and letting their stories be heard and honoring their stories and for even coming on this podcast to talk about it. I don't think any of this is easy for you too.
1: Yeah, no, I actually really appreciate you allowing me to talk about like what went into it because I really, you know, there's this uh, refrain out there of like fake news and media, like we make stuff up. And if people really knew what went into these stories, you know, I would never undertake something like this against a person that I've known. If I didn't, you know, want to tell these women's stories and if there weren't multiple people telling me similar stories with patterns, including men who were witnesses to this alleged behavior as well, you know, like that is not in my nature. Uh, As I said, I just want to go to
0: concerts for a living. (laughs) Well, we'll get you back to that, (laughs) hopefully. Um, Is there anything that you would like to add? Anything I didn't ask you that you think is important for people to know?
1: Anyone who takes the time to read it, it's very long. It's very hard to read. So I appreciate you for taking that time. Uh, I know people like bite-sized news these days. Um, It's an important story on so many levels and not just that it's this guy in the music industry. It's like there's a bigger picture here, Um, whether it's how Noir was treated by the police back then, the changes from the Me Too movement, maybe there's some kind of lesson on what can be done like at a smaller company to to look into things like this more thoroughly, let's say. Um, and also maybe there's uh, some kind of help like for the women after whose lives have been destroyed by these types of behaviors and, you know.
0: Well, I, I mean, I'm just thinking about your Samaritan and maybe there is something there maybe with a charity and a, a huge cause behind it, right?
1: Yeah, I would love to bring Samaritan back. Like we have great jobs, right? We talk to interesting people, we go to concerts, we listen to music. And I started Samaritan cuz that was my way of giving back because I'm not wealthy and you know, can't build a house and I'm not a doctor and I'm not famous. So this was my way of telling these incredible stories big and small about people trying to make a difference. And, you know, the animal rights stories were the most popular, I think. Um, But also all these amazing musicians with this platform that are doing good. And then even the, the corporations, you know, like I don't look at them as big bad Eagle corporations because they're run by human beings. And there's always something that touches those people's lives and they pick a charity or two and we'll support that. And yeah, I I really want to bring it back and do it properly. Yeah. And and I will, I just need to get a bit of work. as a music journalist.
0: I feel like there's, there's just so many stories out there that have yet to be told about women experiencing sexual violence of any sort. And yeah, if there's a way to further shine the light on those stories in an interesting way, I don't know. I, I feel like there's something there.
1: I would like to see more men Stand up for women. Thank you. Doing this story, there were incredible and there are incredible men that not just spoke to me for this article, but have spoken to me afterwards. I'm not gonna name them, but of course. Just yeah. like, you know, the top of their field, whether it's musicians or heads of companies, just their compassion and insight and understanding into what these women went through and even what I went through writing the article, like It's just been amazing. And they want to talk about it. That's the thing. Like every time I see them, anytime I go somewhere now, someone wants to talk about this article and ask me questions and express how they feel. It's been an equal number of men and women. And there's some solid guys in this industry for sure.
0: I agree. And there's some shitty ones too. And I think the best thing that could happen out of a terrible, tragic story like this And these allegations is that instead of men coming forward in reaction to an article like this, that there is something before, something proactive. Tell us what you're doing in your company. Tell us what you're doing with your team to make sure these things don't continue to happen. So I always end the Women in Media podcast this way, and I'm not about to stop for this season. I would like to hear about some women that you would recommend coming on this podcast to share their stories, women you admire.
1: Tracy Melcher, I would love to uh, see you interview her. She's—I have not had her on yet. Fantastic, um, Charlotte Thompson, publicist for Nickelback and many, many other acts.
0: She's a popular nomination. She's gonna hate it. She she hates doing this kind of stuff, but I feel like when the time is right, she will. <laughs> Denise Stalin, if you add Denise on. Haven't had Denise, also a popular nomination, and if, if this means anything, it's that Charlotte and Denise are in high demand. So let's okay, go,
1: Christina Fernandez as well. There's so many incredible women in this industry that I know it's hard. Amazing to pick. stories,
0: and they persevere. And I will give Christina Fernandez a little shout out right now too, because when I was in the early stages of developing this podcast, her and I had some great late night phone calls. Just so many fabulous women, including yourself. I'm going to say thank you once again for taking the time. Um, I've wanted to talk to you about this for a long time and kudos, job well done on that article and honoring those women.
1: Thank you so much.
2: I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is, trust me, I'm a decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, But we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast
0: is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network.